Hey guys, Dane here with the Dark Room Podcast. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. In today's episode, I chat with lifestyle and adventure photographer Spencer Backman. I have been a fan of Spencer's work for quite some time now. We've been following each other. We've had this like Instagram, like, hey, what's going on? Nice stuff for years. And it's awesome to be able to actually chat with him and hear his story and how he started taking photos and how that transformed into his recent photo book, uh, really book, because there's so many stories in it from the road. But anyways, that transformed into his book titled The 1200 Mile Walk, which features his time spending 100 days walking essentially the entire California coast from the border of Oregon and California all the way down to the border of Mexico. I wanted to chat with him about this walk, what it was like, things that he went through during, things that he went through before leading him to this walk. And, you know, kind of what that did for him and really kind of what it can do for us. I really got a lot from this conversation. We get into it. We, we go down his, his journey and his path, uh, even before the walk, during the walk and after. And it's a great, great chat. I had a really good time doing it. Spencer, thank you so much. You can see Spencer's work on Instagram at Spencer Backman, and that's spelled B-A-C-K-M-A-N, just how it sounds. Uh, you can see his website, spencerbackman.co. What else? You can pre-order another round of the 1200-mile walk because it is all sold out, but it's going to come back for a second printing. So you can do that on his website. And I suggest you do. All right, you guys, thank you so much. We appreciate you. Really hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. So without further ado, here is a conversation with Spencer Backman. Welcome to the Dark Room Podcast, where you'll get to hear from the best full-time creators on the planet. From starting out to where they are now and everywhere in between. Welcome to the Dark Room. Thank you for coming on and, and doing this with me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I have kind of watched the podcast evolve and, and Darkroom grow over the last few years, so this is really fun. Yeah, man. I, I mean, I've seen your work grow and, and evolve for a while. I feel like you have these these people that you follow on Instagram, uh, at least in this case, and you've seen their work for years and you've been following them for years and like you just get so used to their icon picture and their name and it just feels like a buddy more than yes. other followers. And like, I feel like you are 100% that, that guy for me. Like I always seen your work and, and your progression. And then when you started your 1200 mile walk a while back and, and seeing like the book come out and all that. So it's super cool to be able to actually put a voice to it and be like, yo, Spencer, what's going on, man? I know it is really nice. It's nice when you, I feel like that's the one, you know, there's, as we all are learning, there's definitely its fair share of negative side effects to our internet craze, social media craze world. But one of the positives is that we do kind of get to build these connections with people who we have, you know, quite a bit in common with, but are not locationally close. Um, and, and Instagram allows for a way that you see kind of the evolution and the growth of someone's personality and their work. And, and then you, you do, you feel a kinship to that. And then it's nice to put, Kind of as you go on, you start putting the final pieces in. You, you put the voice, and then you put yeah. you meet the person like in the same room, and that kind of adds another dimension. But exactly, yeah, this is great. Yeah, man. Hey, so when did when did you start taking photos? Like, when did that start for you? Was it like long before Instagram, or did Instagram kind of help that? So it was before Instagram. Um, I was 
an athlete in my early years, basically from age nine to 19, I was, I was very, very sports focused. I should say I was soccer focused. I, I really had nothing else I was super interested in. Um, except for there was this like vague interest in photos. And this was pre-Instagram, pre like anything of that nature. Um, and I remember I had to choose an elective during, actually it started slightly before that. When I was 12 or 13, I bought a tiny little digital camera. Do you remember those digital cameras that were about like three inches or five inches long? And they had like a 1.8 inch LCD screen on the back. And that was like, are you talking, like just like one of those ones that would almost look like a Samsung phone now in a way yeah, like that exactly. size, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, for sure. 100%. Very much so. like, yeah. and, and at the time that was like, wow, look at this little yeah, oh, for technological sure. Two marvel. megapixels was like, what? You kidding me? I know. Crazy. Yeah. So I, I bought one of those from my grandma who was upgrading for like 50 bucks and I took <laughs> it to Tahoe and that was like the first time I really took photos and I was vaguely interested over the next few years. Um, and then I had to choose an elective in high school. And I remember scrolling down like the list, looking at the different options, and I just wasn't interested in most of it. Yeah. So I, photography was there. And I was like, well, I've you know been interested in that for a while. And picked it. And that was when it started to grow. I remember going, and my dad found this, this book um, by a guy named Chris Orwig, who was a professor in Santa Barbara. And it was, it was on photography, but I think this was really important. It wasn't obsessed with the technical aspect of photography. Yeah. It was focused on, okay, we've come to the digital age, but taking a perfect photograph doesn't mean that it means anything. Mm -hmm. Technically, you know, if it's technically perfect, it still doesn't make you feel something by default. So, can we take photographs that let someone feel something? And that's kind of where I, where I started. And I think looking back, I didn't really know the photography world at all. I was brand new, but that was, that was quite important, I think, to go into it from that angle. And then I did it through high school. I kind of dropped the camera for a while after that. And then I was 20 years old and I found myself at a little bit of a in-between point in life and I'd actually had to stop playing soccer due to an injury. Mm -hmm. So suddenly uh, my main kind of focus was, was not there anymore. I had recently moved. I was recently at a new job. And I remember thinking like, wow, this is suddenly I have some time and I can pick up this camera in a more real way. And I just started taking photos. Yeah. When... Like, when did the branding or when did working with brands come into play? Like, when did you actually realize and how did you realize that you can, you know, you can make a living with this, you can, you know, have an income with this and you can make this work? Right. So that was quite, it actually was very rapid for me. So I first, not first picked up the camera, but when I, when I really started taking more photos and then doing things for the main purpose of like, oh, I want to go and take photographs. Yeah was, uh, I believe it was 2014, like the end of 2014. And then in the beginning of 2015, just two or three months later, I had met a guy at a coffee shop who was a fashion blogger um, here in Sacramento where I lived. And 
we just sort of known each other and he would do these equivalent to what would be like a, a sponsored post or po- sponsored shoot on Instagram today. But that was like way back when this was kind of a brand new thing on Instagram. And so he'd get some stuff from different brands like Armani and Calvin Klein and he, all this stuff. And one day he texted me and said, Hey, I have this photo shoot. Um, and my photographer just got sick or dropped out or something. It's scheduled tonight. Oh, <laughs> Can you do it? <laughs> like, uh, and sure. <laughs> So at that time, I had like the entry level Canon DSLR. I had one lens, and I had no computer. Nice man, that's the best. <laughs> and I just remember thinking, "What the hell?" Yeah, like, yeah. Let's let's try it. Let's do it. So we go to the shoot. It's super dark. As anyone who's a photographer knows, <laughs> that that makes things a little bit difficult. Yeah, super dark, <laughs> all artificial lighting at night in a bar, and. You know, we made some photos, and some of them came out pretty good. Nice. I ended up going home that night. I had one of those, um, do you remember those Wi-Fi cards? They're like SD cards that had a Wi-Fi signal. And yes. Could, yep. Yes. 100%. Oh, yeah. I didn't I didn't have a computer, so I used this Wi-Fi card to transfer them to my, my phone. <laughs> I edited them in Visco. Dude, nuts. And then submitted them, and they got and they got put in this magazine. And They got put in a magazine? Not, not like a big magazine, yeah. but like a local magazine. And that was kind of where... It, it everything started. That was the first gig I had. That was the first shoot that was anything more than just me going out to try to yeah. find something to take pictures of. Which which goes to show that uh, jumping into situations and saying yes to you know rather uncomfortable situations is the best way to grow, no matter what. I I think so. I think <laughs> especially in the beginning. I think it's almost irreplaceable. I remember hearing an interview with uh, Mumford Mumford and Sons, mm-hmm. and they just said that. When they started, when they were first beginning, they just said yes to every single gig, yeah, no matter what. And obviously, you you wouldn't say that they can continue doing that forever, but I don't know. I, I feel like the learning process of just saying yes to things and jumping in, giving it a hundred and twenty percent, and then seeing what happens is is a very very important part of the process. So yeah. that's where I was at that moment. That's where I began. Dude, that's that's unreal. I mean, that's so cool that that. <laughs> it was a situation like that. And, you know, like there's a lot of progression of photographers too, of like, yeah, you know, like I slowly did this, got this camera, got this lens, shoots got bigger and bigger, but you just got thrown right into the, into the <laughs> crappy lit bar. And it's like, all right, figure it out, crank your ISO and, and let's do it. But, <laughs> exactly. But there's something fun, like looking back, you know, like even now, like I, I still, you know, from time to time have shoots where like I go into it a little nervous and, you know, a little bit uncomfortable. And then, shoots over and it's great. And I, you know, I feel good. And, you know, maybe not every single shot was awesome, but the client doesn't have to see those shots, you know? So like you you still like, even in these uncomfortable situations and scenarios, like you can still, you know, get a few good snippets of video or get a few good shots. And, and it can kind of just like be another building block to like solidify, you know, your progression as a photographer. Absolutely. Yeah. I know that you were putting out some videos in 2016, like vlog style, uh, I did. Yeah, I was. I was looking at a few of those again uh, before this chat because I remember them from from back when. And I was oh actually putting out videos as well in like 2017. Andrew Kearns inspired the hell out of me. I told him that too when when I started vlogging. It was kind of because his videos like were an attainable type of video, and I was like, I can do Dude. this. Like, I want to do this. I know Andrew. Andrew was killing it. I yeah. loved. I loved his vlogs. So when you when you were doing that, what were you trying to capture? What do you want to show? Like what? What was your reasoning for for jumping in and and 
you know, trying to show some video of your life. That was interesting because that came about, I think I was, I was watching Andrews and I was watching Casey's at the time. I think that was shortly after Casey really kind of went full bore ahead with the vlogs and just kind of blew everyone out of the water. Yeah. Um, but I knew that I had kind of flirted with the idea of just seeing what video was like, you know, just, just trying it and, and seeing if I had a story to tell. But I don't know about you, but I find it very hard to stick to things um, that are new unless there's some kind of commitment involved. Yeah, no, I know what you mean, for sure. Just doing new things here and there as a way to learn doesn't seem to work for me. I have to kind of jump into it. So I remember just just saying that, okay, for the month, I think it was October, for October, I'm just, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even own a camera that shot video. <laughs> and I just like, I'm going to do this every single day. And I'm going to commit to doing it every day because if I don't, the fact that it's new will be hard enough on its own that I'm going to quit. Not because I don't like vlogging or not because I can't do it or not because the vlogging itself is hard, but because it's new and hard. Yeah. You need like the sense? forest structure a hundred percent. That's how I work yeah. too. So yeah, you kind of have to force yourself into some of those limitations in order to properly grow, I think. So I just, that was a total experiment. Just, I saw these vlogs. I realized I enjoyed Casey's. I enjoyed Andrew's. Yeah. And I just wanted to see what would it look like? <laughs> what would it look like if I did that with my own, my own life? And in the end, I didn't, I didn't stick with it for any time longer than that, but it was a really, really good experiment. Yeah. And I, I love doing those little things. No, it's super fun. And like, I had a great time doing it too. And you know, I did it for, I did it for like a year, pretty solid. And I was like, every week I'm going to come out with one. And like, yeah, I didn't stick with it either. And I, you know, I don't, I don't know why I didn't stick with it. I mean, I guess in retrospect, like you don't stick with things because you kind of either realize that another avenue is uh, more lucrative or just better for you than others. Right. Like I've always thought that having a, a, like a voice or a medium, like with what we do, you know, either podcasting or vlogging or just straight up taking photos and putting them out. Like, it's good to have like one good one, you know, like Peter McKinnon, like straight up like kills that, you know, video space. And, right. you know, some people kill this or that space. So like, I eventually was like, you know, I'm going to jump into the podcasting space for like a side thing. Um, and it, vlogging just didn't feel right for me at the time. And maybe in the future, near future, whatever I figure out, like, you know, with YouTube, if I can find something that's comfortable and feels good and feels like it's actually, um, you know, beneficial, then I'm down right. to jump into it. But after a little bit, you know, it, like I just kind of wandered. Like I was like, you know, I'm just going to kind of like veer off. Like I feel like you're kind of similar where, you know, you try a lot of different things and you like to see what sticks and what works. And if not, cool. Like it was a building experience. So I feel like that's kind of how you roll too. Yeah, very much so. I think one of the challenges to being that kind of personality that is very interested in new things and trying new experiences and experimenting is finding the right balance between experimenting with new things all the time mm -hmm. and sticking with something long enough that you get to see those those exponential results that come with like dedication to a certain thing for a long period of time. Like, do you know what I'm talking about there? 100%. Yeah. Jumping into uh, like, you know, that same vein of experimenting and trying different things. So around that time, 
were you teetering with this idea of the the twelve hundred mile walk? Because you know, I definitely want to jump into that, which is you know, it's so insane. Like a twelve hundred mile drive is insane, <laughs> but the, for you, like this twelve hundred mile walk, what was the I guess the pre production in your brain for for this whole you know adventure that you wanted to go on? Yeah, so actually, I, it was late late twenty sixteen that I was doing the vlogs, mm-hmm. um, and I had no idea no inclination the walk did not cross my mind at all until march of 2017 so the turnaround for me first having the initial concept and then leaving was about three months dude that's crazy (laughs) so there was there was very little time in between it was uh yeah it was it was a weird time in in my life and i think it's something that our generation particularly is dealing with, which is a period of time when things seem to be going well in most respects, mm-hmm. but you feel very empty right. about what you're doing. So like I had a solid job. Um, I was shooting all the time. I had been dating my, my girlfriend for six or seven months at that point, and we were doing well. Mm-hmm. Um, just a lot of things on the surface were were looking good, and I felt pretty damn listless and just uninterested, unmotivated. Yeah. Um, so I just thought, what if I change everything, just in one fell swoop, and try something completely different? And I started kind of just. I remember sitting at work um, in this this co working space that the the agency I was I was with at the time worked out of, and I was working on some project that I really disliked <laughs> at the time. <laughs> and as as you do, yeah. sometimes you need yeah. Those are the triggers. That, that's it. Yeah, exactly. I've been there for sure. Sometimes, you know, if everything is just averagely pleasant all the time. It's never fantastic, but you're never pushed to make a change. Right. Sometimes it's okay to be, find yourself in a really terrible situation. And then <laughs> like, okay, so I, I, I'm going to take action now. Yeah, but I, was, I was just sitting there thinking, you know, what would I do? What could I do that's mm-hmm. totally different and would change my perspective on on my life? Because I know that I have a lot to be grateful for. Like I have so I've been so blessed. I have so much that I should be appreciating. And I really am not feeling it right now. Mm-hmm. I, I find myself taking all these things for granted and realizing that was not very pleasant at all. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's like, wow, I am not only extremely blessed, but extremely privileged mm-hmm. to live where I live, to be in the circumstances that I'm in. And I'm not grateful for it. I mean, I am in my head. Like, I know I'm, I'm grateful I'm here. Yeah, I'm fundamentally, you, you get it, but it's hard to feel sometimes. Right. So I had just, well, I'd been following along with a few people on the internet who, who had done some crazy things. And, and one of them was Jedediah Jenkins. And he rode his bike from Oregon to Patagonia and then later on came out with the book and, and all of that, oh, which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. I don't know. If, yeah. If you haven't read his book, it's, it's called To Shake the Sleeping Self. It's, it's fabulous. No, I'll check it out. But he says, that one of the reasons he left is he left to do this walk from 
a job that he loved and a life that he enjoyed. Sorry, his wasn't a walk. His was a, a bike ride. Yeah. But one of the reasons he did that was because he wanted to break his routine because he found himself no longer like fully enjoying and appreciating the little things in his life that he he genuinely loved, but he'd almost stopped noticing. Yeah. So for me, it was very similar. I, I wanted to gain a fresh perspective by throwing myself into a completely new world. When you're pre-planning that in your head, do you connect that with being a photographer as well? Like, Did, did the book come and did this idea come as well as, as thinking all that at the same time? Does that make sense? Like, Was it a project? Right. Did you look at it as a project or did you fully in the beginning look at this as a way to be re-inspired and just kind of like reinvigorated with, you know, inspiration? No, I, I did not look at it as a project in the beginning. It was like, I had a vague thought of like, oh, if I do something, maybe I'll make something out of that in the yeah. future. But it was, it was really not about that. It was very much a pilgrimage, not a project yeah. in the beginning. And I knew that I would take photographs because that's just, that's just you what know, you do, yeah. That's what I do. It's who yeah, I am. I'm, for sure, you know, yeah. For you, for you as well, I'm sure. You can't even, no matter what you do, you're even if it's just with your phone, it's it's kind of part of who you are to try to document that beauty um, in the world around you. Yeah. So I knew that I would, but it wasn't it wasn't the plan <laughs> to come out with a book and and all of this stuff. You're in Sacramento still, right? Yeah. And you were you there then? Like, have you you know lived in Sacramento for a good portion of your life, your whole life? Correct. So when you're doing that, and I'm sorry, when you're planning this trip, did you want to stick to the West Coast? Were there any other ideas that you would go overseas or go to the East Coast or, you know, go South? Like what, what were you trying to, what other spots maybe were you thinking about? So I had a few different thoughts. Um, when I initially, this wasn't the first uh, type of adventure to cross my mind, I guess. I, I thought, okay, Probably because I had been recently inspired by by Jedediah Jenkins, I thought, what if I rode my rode, rode my bike somewhere long, somewhere crazy, maybe around the perimeter of the United States or something like that? Um, or I thought maybe I should just get in a car and go throughout Canada and and the U.S. I thought maybe trying to hit every state in the United States, or maybe I thought about backpacking somewhere totally different, like Asia or Europe, and then. I don't remember exactly what triggered it, but I remember thinking about walking and I immediately felt like I was drawn to the simplicity of it. Because yeah. it, it kind of felt like that's what I was looking for. I was looking to take all the extraneous things out of my life and really learn what the necessities were for myself. Because honestly, I, I've i never dealt with a lot of the things that... the Majority of humankind, for the majority of humankind's existence, has had to deal with, which yeah. is worrying about food, worrying about water, worrying about shelter. I've, I've been very privileged. I've really never had to deal with those concerns. Yeah. And the more I started thinking about walking, the more I started to re- really resonate with the idea that, like, wow, if I just take away as much as I possibly can from my life, I take away the comforts, I take away the conveniences, what might I learn? <laughs> from stripping down my life to kind of those bare minimum requirements. And then I also thought, well, if I walk, I'll, I'll be able to travel no matter where I'm at in my life. Yeah. Whether I have a vehicle, whether I have a, can fly on planes, whether I have nothing other than my own two feet, I can, I can move on those feet. Yeah. 
Man. So where, where did you start? Where did you end up starting at? So I started at the border of Oregon and California mm-hmm. on the beach. And I pointed myself south and walked that border, walked that coastline until the border of California and Mexico. So the length of California um, following the coastline. And how long did it end up being? It ended up taking 98 days. 98 days. Did you ballpark like 100 days or like did you hit pretty close to what you were thinking about or did you just go? I, like no thoughts, figured, just, just go. I didn't really have any deadlines. I just figured it'll probably be three or four months and I really didn't know. I just knew that I needed to get through the north half um, while it was still summer. Yeah. Otherwise it would get pretty miserable. So I thought, well, I better get started in June, or it ended up being the very last day of June that I left, and I just knew I will get back probably sometime in the fall. (laughs) (laughs) What did your friends and family think? Like, what were those conversations like? Was everyone super supportive? Was there any, you know, any kind of just questions about about this whole thing? Were you just like, I'm out later? Like, what was that like? So I was very, very grateful that my family did not go crazy or anything like that when yeah. I told them this is what I was going to do. Um, which is, you know, not, a, not a given. <laughs> There's a lot sure, of people yeah. that would be like, what the hell is wrong with you? Oh, definitely. Um, you're leaving your job, your apartment, your girlfriend, your <laughs> family, your literally everything yeah. to go and do, uh, exactly what for, you don't even know how long. Yeah. Um, but I, I do have a pretty adventurous family and they, I'm grateful. I think saw that this was the kind of thing that I needed to do. And I think they also just, they saw that this, even though it sounds pretty wild and almost when I look at it on paper in my life, it seems a little bit out of the blue. Mm-hmm. It really fits deeply into who I see myself to be. It's actually one of the reasons that I went is I, I kind of write about this a little bit in the book, but I've had this this feeling for as long as I can remember that I need to pit myself up against something that's truly hard, truly yeah. difficult, truly unpreparable. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like something that you can't you can't plan out all in advance and and have safety nets to catch you all the time. I think I was really looking for that kind of adventure, kind of an old fashioned adventure, an adventure yeah. where rescue isn't a guarantee. Yeah. And I feel like, you know, going back to the way that you felt before this walk and being feeling like you're shackled to this desk and you're working on a project that you hate and things like that is like that comes full circle in that moment when, you know, a lot of times when you're feeling uninspired and unmotivated because things, there's safety net is there. You can see it. It's right below you. You know what tomorrow's going to be like and what the next week's going to be like. So it makes perfect sense that that, to, to break all that and to be like kind of pinned up in a spot where it's going to be uncomfortable and you have to break out of that spot no matter what, but you don't know what's underneath you is truly like not only the best way to, to get to where you want to go, but it's the best way to figure out where you want to go. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You, you have to, at least for me, I felt like I needed to really push myself into places and limits and, and difficult situations that I'd never been in before in order to 
find what it is that I really wanted, what I really loved, what those deepest desires within me were. Because I think, I think that society and, and the convenience and comfort that we have in, in our Western world especially, it insulates us against a lot of those deeper, more primal feelings and desires and instincts. And they kind of get covered over and it's just easier to not go there in yourself. Yeah. So we don't <laughs> a lot of the time. Yeah. And you know, that, that might be why, you know, I've recently in my life, I've been asking myself the question of, of why do you take photographs? I've never really asked myself that, you know, I've always loved it. And like, I always kind of talk about how, like, you know, I worked at Circuit City when I was 16 and they put me in the camera department and all that. Um, but like, I've never asked myself, like, why do you love taking photographs? And I think that there is a correlation that, you know, you probably have as well, which is what we're talking about, where photographs can take you places that you wouldn't necessarily be. They send you to these locations and they also invigorate the adventure in you to go to these locations or to go yeah. to these spots or to document these people that you love. And like, it's kind of this, this, this full circle of, you know, it shows you as a person through these images, but it also helps you find yourself as a person through these images. And I, I really think that that is what draws me towards it as well is it's just kind of this, uh, it's this tool for not only creativity, but it's a tool to look within yourself and it can take you places that you want to go. It can take you places that maybe you didn't want to go, but it, it's there. Does that make sense? Like, it's kind of like, I don't know what no, I'm saying, but you know what I mean? No, like it's, I, I think I do know what you're saying. It, it provokes you to discover things that you might not have discovered otherwise. Exactly. Yeah. So when you, when you started this walk, like take me take me to the first like ten minutes. Did you get dropped off to the front like where you wanted to go? Did you you know take a bus there or a train there? Like how did you get there and like what was that first day like? Yeah, so my sister, I have sisters who are who are twins, and they were born actually on my birthday five years later. So <laughs> wow, crazy little story there. But yeah. they drove me up from Sacramento to the border of California and Oregon, and we camped one night at some little campsite up there just car camping because i was going to start in the morning mm -hmm. the following, following morning i just remember that it was super wet and damp that night and i <laughs> i ended up getting like a migraine oh, no. and it was just like <laughs> a terrible terrible <laughs> night yeah. and then next morning wake up it's pretty wet and gray and they drive me to the border and it's an interesting little situation that I was faced with right at the border there because you have the border of California and Oregon and three miles South, you have the Smith river and the Smith river is the second largest river in California. Mm -hmm. um, but more, more pertinently, there's no bridge across it within seven miles. I want to say from the coastline. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> so what I ended up doing, especially cause it was, it was day one is I, I, they dropped me off at the border. Mm -hmm. I walked south for three miles. They picked me up at the river, drove me around the river, and then dropped me back on the other side of the river at yeah. the border. Okay. And this part, I, again, this is, I had no, no idea of, of what this was going to be like exactly, but we ended up turning 
down these series of dirt, gravelly, potholed roll mm-hmm. roads. And <laughs> the spot, the nearest spot that they could drop me off at was actually an old Indian cemetery. No way. And it's at this dead-ended road. It's completely overcast and gray. And it's just, I'm walking into this wilderness feeling area called the Yontucket Dunes, and there's just nothing. Yeah. There's nothing there except for dunes, <laughs> this abandoned Indian graveyard, and eventually I get to the ocean. And I, I remember, so the first 15 minutes of walking was, well, well leaving them there, because from that point, they were going to drive home yeah. back to Sacramento and I was going to go on. So the first goodbye at the, at the actual border, you know, that was like, Oh, Hey, I'll see you in a couple hours. That kind of thing. Yeah. Second and then, goodbye, but though. second goodbye, that was one of the toughest moments of my life probably because yeah. it wasn't just saying goodbye to them. It was saying goodbye to everything that that familiarity represented. Mm-hmm. Cause I didn't know anyone up here. There was doubtful self signal up here and when they drove off down that road, it was like, holy crap, what have I done? <laughs> and it becomes real. Like, that's the most real up to that point. Absolutely. Yes. It hits you in a whole new way. You think you know what you're doing yeah. until you have the moment when you actually realize what you're doing. Yeah. So then you you walk to the ocean. And what are you like? What are you carrying with you? Like, what did you decide, at least like in the very beginning, to, to pack out with? I had done a lot of camping before this mm-hmm. i had never gone on a single backpacking trip in my life <laughs> oh man that's great so we talked about kind of just jumping into things i was very much just jumping into it yeah and i had a backpack that was so overpacked not so much with stuff but with food uh-huh. because the north is pretty remote up in the the northern reaches of the california coast and i had very little assurances of when I would be able to find food again. Yeah. So I had to pack for much longer than the average backpacker packs. Like I think I had, I started out with 12 or 13 days worth of food just cause I had, I didn't know Yeah. when I would find food again. What kind of food um, did you pack? Because I'm sure you had to keep it, you know, very minimal. Yes. Yes. And I also didn't know what I was doing. So <laughs> yeah, in this like a thousand cliff bars falling out of your pockets. No, literally, I had so many bars, and then I had um, I had, like some meal replacement shakes, and what what else did I take? I took some some prepackaged backpacker food, mm-hmm. um, like the just that hot water stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't take good. much. It it can be really good, yeah. but it's also re- quite expensive. Yeah, so it works fine when you're going on a five day backpacking trip, but when you're going on a hundred day backpacking trip, that's <laughs> like. Quite, yeah, it, it's quite pricey. So I had some of that, but not not a ton. Um, I took some instant soup and stuff. And anyway, I learned very quickly over the first couple of weeks, like, mm-hmm. okay, this is not entirely the best best <laughs> food options. Like, I need more calories. That was the biggest thing. I just oh, underestimated yeah. the amount of calories that I needed. Yeah, well, because you're um, walking so much every day, so dude, yeah, you burn I, so many calories. So many, so many. And my pack at the beginning there was sixty pounds. Mm-hmm. So. That was that was pretty hefty on sand. Yeah, I I learned real quick. Like, wow, walking on sand is is not the same as walking on a trail <laughs> by any means. So, when you were walking on the coastline, were you always on the sand, or did you ever like scoot in and go on the highway or the you know so, the one or the one hundred and one? Right. So my my priorities 
as far as the surface I walked on went like this. It was it was first trail. If there was a trail yeah. that was near the coast, went along the coast, that was all. That was ideal. That was awesome. Now that only happened for I want to say probably twenty percent of the entire walk. If yeah. that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, after that, I would do sand. Um, but sometimes even the sand was, it's either, it was rocky and, and a, like bluff areas or there was private property right on the beach. So mm-hmm. I probably ended up walking 40 to 60% of the journey on asphalt. Okay. Going through either civilized areas or areas that you just couldn't get to the coastline and I had to walk on the one or the one one. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause there's yeah. a lot of like, there's a lot of small beach towns too, where, you know, there's giant mountains in front of them and you got to kind of go inland just for a bit. Did you right. find that a lot where you had to kind of cut in and you couldn't really get around certain spots? Yes. There was several places that that was the case for a few different reasons in the North. So actually this is probably a good little story that kind of illustrates the way the walk went for me, mm-hmm. which is, so my sisters dropped me off. I walked that day. I, I was so so new to it. I really didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. I ended up I ended up picking a camp spot way early in the day, like four <laughs> o'clock. <laughs> like because, two hours in. All right, cool. This is good. Well, what happened was I just got so nervous. I remember walking back and forth thinking, like, oh man, what if I don't find another place I can set up my tent? Because yeah, yeah. I'm always like setting up my tent in a place I'm not supposed to be. <laughs> and and at least I found the area in the dunes that I was kind of hidden. And I just got like, uh, I'm just going to stop here because mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I can sleep tonight in this spot. So anyway, I did that. Next day, I ended up having to walk 17 miles to... There was this campground that I read about and I found online. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of... It was it was just up into the coastal mountains, right after the coastal mountains begin there in the north. So I, I make it up there. I walked the first half of the sand and then rocks and then through the little town of Crescent City and then a beach again. And then to get up to the campsite, because the, the mountains kind of go right into the ocean there, and it's one of those places where you just you can't walk along the, on the, along the coastline, so right, you have to kind yeah. of go in. So I went inland a little bit, found a road, went up the road. It's really steep, winds up into the mountains for a mile or two. Um, it's around 7 o'clock, I want to say. I'm pretty beat at this point, because I did not do the training I would have liked, just Life didn't allow it in the in the build up to the walk. So yeah. I seventeen miles was a real was pushing it yeah, for my body brutal. right yeah. then on that terrain with that pack. I get to the final place where the trail splits off from from the road up in these mountains. I'm exhausted. It's late in the day. And there's no cell service. I get there. And the trail is closed due to a landslide. Oh, no, man. And I remember just, I walk up to it and I'm just standing there for like 30 seconds, just staring staring at it being like, my brain is seeing it and giving me a blank. (laughs) (laughs) Like, uh, what did Uh, you do? Because it was, I mean, it was dark, right? Had to have been seven o'clock. Sun was setting for sure. Sun was going down. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't dark yet, thankfully, but it was like, I'm looking at the sun and you know, it's a few fingers above the horizon. Mm -hmm. And so I just stared at it for like 30 seconds. And then I remember thinking, so this is how it's going to be. And my, it was this realization, like, this is why I did this. This is why, this is the whole point. It feels so 
scary and inconvenient right now, but this is why I'm here is to find out, can I survive? How do I respond in the situation that cannot be planned for? And there's no one to call for help. Yeah. So I kind of had that moment and then I was like, well, okay, I'm going to climb the fence and, and see what the slide looks like. Like, I've got nothing to lose. I might as well try. Maybe it's maybe they're overreacting and they just, you know, they don't want to be liable. Maybe I can get around it. Right. So I walk down it and the trail kind of goes through the woods a little bit, pops out onto a bluff, and then I see this landslide that has full trees in it. Like <laughs> it's it's like half the mountain yeah. fell into the ocean. It's like a real and deal I'm, landslide. Oh yeah, yeah. They're, they weren't joking. <laughs> and I'm just like Oh, okay. And, you know, it kind of, it took me, it took me longer than it'll take to to tell, but with some deliberation and, and going back and forth in my head a lot of times, I ended up just staying right there at the slide that night because I thought at least because the trail is closed, no one will come find me. And I I slept right on the edge of the bluff. Um, And then I, the next morning I had to walk back where I'd come from down the mountain find a different road, which was the one-on-one. And then I went, I went south on that. But right from the very beginning, it was like your plans count for <laughs> very little. Well, cause were you, were you planning on the entire time or at least a good amount of the time, like ending up at certain campgrounds? Because obviously like that's the legal way to do it. Cause it's not, it's not easy. You can't just, I mean, as you very well know, but if people don't know, like you can't just, you can't just be like, cool, I'm done walking. I'm going to set up my tent right here. Everything's good. Like, you just can't do that, you know? Unless it's like BLM, which is great. But I don't even think there's, is there, was there BLM up by you? There's like no BLM right on the coast. Yeah. The coast is like completely claimed. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, what does BLM stand for again? Just so people know, I forget. I forget. Um, Bureau of Land, Land Management. Management. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of a newer thing too. So BLM essentially is just, you know, if it, if you're in a BLM area, you can camp there for free. It's totally fine, but there's not a lot where you were. There's actually there's quite a bit of BLM on the like the eastern Sierra side. Yeah, it's over awesome. by us. Yeah, it's great. I just did that uh, end of last year. Um, but yeah, so that makes it a lot easier when you're trying to to find places to sleep. But for you, totally. you had to kind of worry about like you know you didn't want a ranger to be knocking on your tent at 3 a.m. telling you to get out of there. Exactly. That was literally almost nightly situation that I <laughs> dealt with. Not the ranger, but having yeah. to think, where where am I going to be? Yeah. Um, so the way that the coast is set up is you typically will have a campsite every, I want to say 50 to 100 miles, sometimes it's a little bit longer, mm-hmm. because they kind of, not completely, but they, they, they kind of make it work for cyclists who are cycling down the one and the one-on-one. Yeah. So a lot of people do that. They cycle from... Uh, Southern California up to say Oregon or Vancouver or, or vice versa. And um, it's, it's fairly well situated for that, but <laughs> they're going 50 to hundred miles a day. Yeah. I'm going, <laughs> you know, 10 to 20 miles a day. Right. So for every one campsite I find, I've got like nine nights or something where I don't have one. And dude, I've, I've slept in some crazy spots. <laughs> oh, I can only imagine for sure. Cause every single night, 98 nights or 97 nights, like I'm sure you've slept in every which way. I saw in one of your uh, in one of your blogs, you said you slept in. Well, this is later in the walk, but you slept in like a um, a lifeguard tower. You know, like place yes. like random places like that. And then before that, you were probably in like ditches and bushes. I saw. So there's uh, just so yep. many, so many spots. I'm sure that you've encountered in this. 
You're you're in LA, right? Yeah, I'm in LA. Yeah. So do you know where Playa del Rey is? Oh uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yep. Okay, so the very first lifeguard tower on Playa del Rey, I I slept on t- the roof of that <laughs> one night. On the, why the roof? Just because that was the best way to hide? No, no, actually. <laughs> so what happened was. I always knew going through LA, like a, you know, a highly metropolitan area, is going to be very difficult. Yeah, uh, unless for I sure. just say, "Hey, whatever, I'm getting a hotel." Yeah, um, which I, I was trying not to do. I only yeah. did that once, uh, no, two times, two times the mm-hmm. whole walk, where there was no other options. But um, so I was with my sister actually, because side note, I have I've got six siblings, um, and every one of them plus my parents, plus my girlfriend came out for at least three days of mm-hmm. the walk. That was a huge, huge cool thing that yeah, happened. Yeah, for sure. Because we, we all got to kind of share different parts of that journey. But anyway, my one of my sisters was with me at this point, And we were planning, because I saw Playa del Rey, is like, for people who have never been there, it's this beach just south of Venice. Um, and it's pretty wide. Like the area from the civilized part i think they have condos or something to the actual ocean is is fairly substantial yeah and i thought okay what we'll do is we'll kind of go over there after dark we'll put our our tents on the ocean side of this lifeguard tower on the sand Mm -hmm. and kind of be hidden from from the condos by that and then we'll put them up after dark we'll sleep and then i'll get up at you know we'll get up at 5 a.m before it gets light and be gone yeah and Seemed like that was going to work. Well, <laughs> so we wait kind of out of the area so no one sees us go there until after dark. We walk over there. It's it's pretty dark, pretty damp at this point. And I put my bag down to kind of assess where's the best spot for us to fill our tents. I turn around, I take a couple steps, and I hear this skittering, like this all around me. I turn around, and I it's, it's dark, so you can't see very well. I just see shapes, like, flitting off into the shadows. Oh, jeez. I'm like, oh, oh, no. And, like, my sister puts her bag down. We start trying to look around, turn around again, and there are rats, like, on my back. No way. Oh, my God. I'm standing, like, eight feet from it. There's yeah. Literally no fear. Uh. I run back to the bag, like, scare these rats off. And it was the kind of thing where if we put our bags on the sand, there were there were rats there in, like, 10 seconds. Dude, that's so wild. I mean, it, I mean, it kind of makes sense, but honestly, not really. Like, you don't really think about that, especially right there, like in, in a beautiful beach spot. And there's right. these it's rats just, lurking around. You don't really see them ever in the day. So, yeah. but I guess after dark, they come out from the um, canal and the, the pier there. Oh, and yep. Yep. So we're standing there. It's very dark now. It's, it's getting late. And I was like, oh, holy crap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> what are we gonna do? And ended up climbing up on top of this lifeguard tower and trying to sleep up there for the night. The mist ended up rolling in halfway through. I woke up soaked. Oh so yeah, you didn't sleep at all. Very very interesting experience. So when you're backing up, like when you're when you're really in the beginning of this walk, like what was the the day to day process when it came to like snapping shots? Like did you did you just have a camera when? whenever you felt inspired to shoot or were you trying to get to any certain locations to shoot like a pier or, you know, from a hill or a mountain? Like, did you, did you take photography just as seriously as the walk itself? So short answer, no, because I realized 
and and this is another one of the reasons I, I did the walk in the first place is like wow when you're dealing with I'm running out of clean water and mm-hmm. or I have to find a place to sleep tonight like those become the priorities yeah. they just they just do and photography fits in after those things um, that being said there was a few locations on the coast that I knew I was hoping to get you know like a really I knew there was potential there. Um, but for a lot of it, it was really like, okay, we do what we have to do to survive mm-hmm. and we're ready as much as we can when the moment strikes. And, uh, actually I got to say what made a huge difference in that is two or three weeks after I started the walk, my, my sisters gave me the peak design, um, the little clip, the backpack clip. Oh yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do, do you have one? Dude, I, that, I don't, but I know it. Yeah, that changed my that changed my world on the on the walk for sure. Nice, because yeah, it's right there the whole time. Exactly. Yeah. So that was a game changer, um, and that really helped the whole rest of the rest of the journey for sure. Do you have any looking back? You know, on the on the work that came from it. Do you have any you know favorite photographs or, or favorite images? Yeah. That really stand out to you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was there's a few moments. Um, one of them was it's kind of a dreary day north of Santa Cruz, somewhere somewhere between Santa Cruz and SF. I'm not sure exactly where. And I was with my best friend at the time. He came and joined me for for several weeks. We're walking along and we kind of going up and down on these coastal bluffs. And we come up, and right in front of me is this maybe 50 yards away. There's this gentleman standing on the very edge of the of the cliff his arm upraised tossing these bird seeds to this flock of seagulls that's right above and there's a trail that's leading from the upper left front third right to him in the middle section on the on the third and then the birds are in the uh, upper third of the and it was just like holy crap like this is the kind of moment especially if you're a street photographer or documentary photographer like you you can't plan it any more perfect so that was that was a, a fun moment because it was like, wow, I, I, that was, that just happened for two seconds, an instant of time in front of me. And it was very much that Henri Cartier-Bresson moment of like, you just, you capture this, this the, you capture this moment and you freeze it in time and it's perfect. And there's really something fun about that. So I really, really like that photograph. And then there's another photograph taken in Malibu that, it was just a beach, mm-hmm. and I found that there was this orange chair that was just, it was a kind of ratty old orange beach chair, and it was just sitting in front of the ocean on the sand all by itself with no one around it, and I don't know, all the lines came together. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. perfectly complimentary. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And, and it was, that, was, that was really fun. I don't know. I, I don't think I knew when I took that one as much, but when I went back to it it was like wow i something about this something about this just touches me a little bit yeah those are the fun ones man so how many photographs did you take and also how did you charge your camera and your phone like what what, how did you charge that stuff first and then and then tell me how many photos you took okay yeah so i took with me i think three or four battery camera batteries Mm -hmm. which lasted quite a while what i would do is whenever i came across like a coffee shop or something like that. The first thing I do is charge whatever, however many camera batteries I could. Yeah. 
And that actually served me surprisingly well. Is I just would have I had like four batteries on me. Probably like and, a week or two if you did it right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So because I'm not doing a shoot, like it's not a shoot where you're going to take, you know, 600 shots in a 30 minute period, you're really snapping those moments Mm -hmm. and then you got to move on anyway. So that helped with camera battery with phone. It was a little different, um, especially in the North. So I had a little goal zero, uh, solar pack, um, which Huckberry generously contributed and I had that connected to a small battery and I was charging my phone through that. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) what I didn't think through or didn't account for, especially in the beginning is it's very, very cloudy in the North half. So what I ended up having to do for the first three to five weeks was I would leave my phone on airplane mode. I wouldn't use it. Um, because I didn't have service for one, and yeah. because my battery would be on the each day by having the solar panel strapped to my backpack all day long, I would get about ten percent battery. Oh, wow! So I would ra- hover right at that ten to twenty percent mark for days and days and days. Nuts. Only, <laughs> only turn off airplane mode to check for internet. Text my family, "Hey, I'm okay. This is where I'm at. Back on airplane mode. Put it away and try to conserve that battery." Just because there wasn't any sun to give me power. So right. from the little bits that there was, I had to kind of conserve it. And then in the South, it got a lot easier. Were you using uh, Google Maps at all as well? I, I was. So one thing I did, which proved super helpful, was before I left, I downloaded um, like massive sections of Google Maps. So you, you can do it on the, on the Maps app where mm. you can just kind of draw out a section and, then, and save that to your phone so you don't need internet to use it. Yeah. And that was really, really helpful to me. And I found actually it was the most helpful thing when it came to navigation, because especially in the North, the coastline changes really, really frequently. Almost every winter there's new landslides and stuff like that. Yeah. Then a lot of the maps, if it's older than three or four years, especially they they just tend to not be very accurate. Yeah. So, I started out with other paper maps and even a couple of books that um, had kind of guidelines and maps in the in that area. And I ended up just after the first two weeks, I just sent it all home because like this isn't relevant anymore. I don't. <laughs> I kept coming across things where a map would show a trail, and I get there and there's no trail. <laughs> yeah. Either it's dropped way into the ocean or poison oak, or like a creek, like a little blue creek, and it's just. Done, like gone, gone completely gone. <laughs> yeah. There was one time I was aiming to fill up at this creek, oh, and I get man. there, and there's instead a new part of the mountain <laughs> that yeah. wasn't there on the map. I was like, okay, so a landslide happened and completely <laughs> covered the creek. Did you have a um, shoot? I just got one. I haven't used it yet. A life straw? How are you like getting getting water when you like yeah, really needed so it? So I used a little Sawyer. Um, it's called a Sawyer Mini. It's just mm-hmm. a little water filter that you fill up a little bag, squeeze it through this little filter. It's probably like five inches long. Nice. Um, and into my bottles. And that was, yeah, that was awesome. I I really, really needed that. I used it all the time. That was almost my only source of water in the north. Yeah, man, that's wild. So how many, so how many shots did you take? But also thinking about it now, how did you fit all of your shots, right? Like how many cards did you have? You had to have had a few. Yes, so I, I I probably took six or seven cards with me. Okay. Um, but what I would do is uh, every time. So I ended up because I have so many family members 
that wanted to join for at least a few days. Yeah. During a lot of the trip, I would see them. Well, there were some sections that were kind of long in between, but whenever I would see them, I would give them the card. Whatever card was most full, I would give them that card. Or they would bring a computer and I'd dump it onto a hard drive. Okay. Um, but it was definitely like, <laughs> you just knew, you were slightly alarmed, but you knew that, like, okay, um, especially during longer stretches where I didn't see anybody or I had no contact with people that I, I knew, you're just holding on to these cards full of images. And if something happens, then. Oh, yeah. That's that's that. Yeah. You, could you imagine, like, your bag gets stolen or something happens? Just like, well, all right. Actually, in the north, I got um, knocked over by what, what they call a sleeper wave, which is like a wave that's abnormally bigger than all the others. Oh shit! Yeah, I was yeah I was going around this point, and it was like knee deep water, and it had been. I've been watching it, and it was just kind of these knee deep waves seemed fine, mm-hmm. and then out of seemingly nowhere, but this does happen up there. This like six foot wave comes completely knocks me over Jeez. trenches all my gear so that was the first camera i bought that camera it was a smaller a smaller canon uh-huh. for the trip because it was lighter um and it destroyed it two weeks no in way. so what did you do after that so after it got destroyed i i shot the next two weeks and there's actually a whole chapter in the book that was shot entirely on iphone oh wow man that's crazy and then yeah i didn't have i didn't know what i was gonna do honestly and then super I was very blessed because I have a, I have a friend in Sacramento and he had access to, he sent me a message saying, Hey dude, I have access to this, um, this Canon Mark two, the five D Mark two. It's a a little broken, but it still works. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't, I didn't really know what he meant, but basically, uh, it worked out that that got sent out to me on the coast. And so it's kind of funny. I still have this camera. It it has a circle. So like if you look through the viewfinder, the Uh optical viewfinder, you only see a circle of the image. You don't see the full frame. Whoa. So no corners and you have no way to judge horizon lines. <laughs> and that's what you shot with primarily the entire time? Yep. Oh, what what lens did you have? All I had was a nifty 50, little no 51.8. way, man. That's so wild. And like that's, if you, if you could have one lens, like that's a pretty badass lens to have. Like it, that thing dude, is awesome. I have one. I, love I tell it. everyone who's getting into photography, like yeah. buy a Canon just because you can get a $90 refurbished 51.8 and it'll take you so, so far. Yeah. Oh so man. Yeah, going back to like the, the point kind of mentioned earlier, which is like, obviously we all know gear plays a part, but yeah. in the end, like you can shoot some really really wonderful art with a broken camera and an $80 lens. Definitely. Oh yeah. And you know, also storytelling is a big part of that as well. And I feel like that's something that you're also like very, very talented at. Uh, When you were doing this, were you trying to keep track? Were you writing like little stories or notes or or anything to help you in the future when you were looking back at these moments? Like how, how, because I know in the book, you know, there's 40,000 words. So, you know, you're writing a ton in it. Like how were you documenting that along the way? Yeah. So I did, I did write um, little journal entries and notes, but I noticed, especially after I got done, the time, so this is kind of the way the walk worked out for me. Mm-hmm. About one third of the walk, I was completely on my own alone. About one third of it was comprised by different, like two and three day segments where my family would join me. Yeah. Um, 
And then about one third of it, my best friend came out and he joined me on the walk. So I noticed that for one third of it, I've got some pretty good journal entries and notes. But the two thirds that I had people with me on yeah. the journey, Makes I, it tough. I, 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 I stopped writing. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because well, you're, you're that, with someone, you're having conversations, exactly. and yeah, you have that outlet. Yeah. So the other thing was, I didn't. I honestly didn't intend to write what I did. I I thought it was going to be a photo book with mm-hmm. like, like kind of a atypical coffee table. It's yeah, just, just a image bunch after of photos. Image. Yeah. It wasn't until I got back and real kind of started putting things together, realizing like, wow, you know, now that I've lived this and I know all of those stories that cannot be told exclusively through photographs, this would be missing. It, it would be lacking, even if I'm the only one that knows it. Like, it could be so much more if the stories that happened were were told along with the photographs that portray those stories and. And so then I kind of, by accident, wrote 40,000 words about it. <laughs> so, you know, in like looking back on it, obviously this has to be one of the biggest like new chapters in your life. Like that moment where, you know, there's like an old version of Spencer and there's a new one. I don't know if that's accurate, but it feels no, it like is. this would be the bookmark for like a very kind of serious um you know, not change, but you know what I mean? Just kind of like a, yeah. a developed self. Like what are, what are some of the biggest takeaways at least that, that you found um, that this allowed you to, to, to feel like emotionally, just like a, a different, you know, sense of, of um, Spencer Backman, you know, like what, what came out of it for you? Right. Um, so I should probably preface with saying, the things that did come out of it, which were super healthy, just so everyone knows, mm-hmm. they didn't come out easily. I actually went through like three or four months of pretty bad depression right after I got back. Because um, it was, it was, I knew that it would be a shock going out there. I didn't realize how much it would be a shock coming back. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine, for sure. Um, but it, it did lead me to some interesting realizations about who I was and kind of what is important to me um i really realized that the constant input we have into our life our, our modern life especially for us creatives mm-hmm. can be really sometimes negative um the non-stop input of podcasts books not not all books but like um media whether that be and social media is a big part of that like I love all of those things and I don't think that they're inherently bad at all, but I do think that we overwhelm ourselves with yeah, them. Definitely. And when I was out there, I didn't have that. And I, I experienced such a, I don't know. It's like a more, a deeper sense of peace and of contentment that I find it sometimes very difficult to have being back in our world. When I get into these tracks of, going from Instagram to YouTube right. to a blog to a newsletter yeah. to a podcast to this to a Netflix to like, you know you know definitely what I'm yeah but it's still ingrained in us now it's crazy it's such a pattern and it's and there is so much good in it like we have the ability to learn anything and connect with almost anyone and i i value those things so much but i do think that if we don't keep a handle on it and remember that we need moments of quietness we need moments of silence when 
there's nothing stimulating our brain. Like that, that's important. You need to have that in your life. And if you don't have that, I think that's where a lot of our anxiety and stress comes from. Because I, I went through times out there where I, my only inputs for a long time would be just the wind and the waves. Yeah. And, and that was, that was very powerful. And I, if I miss anything, I miss that. That was a wonderful thing about being out there. Well, yeah. And you know, I'm sure that I'm sure there's so many times when you have to look back and like, remember those feelings and remember how it made you feel and remember that you should detach for a little bit, even if you know, you're in Sacramento in the middle of the city, but like there, there that you have to check in with yourself in that walk and, and remember how that felt. And it's going to be an ongoing thing, you know, and like with, with so many different circumstances too, it's like that. Like even for myself, there's tiny moments where everything feels great and, and, you know, like I'm super happy and I'm really, you know, grateful for, for what's around me and what's going on. And then there's moments where I don't feel like that. And I just have to look back and remember the feeling of, of feeling those like the good moments and and then it will feel better and everything will feel good for that time. And I feel like it's super important to like, remember that you have to go back and check in with, with the things that make you happy and the things that, that kind of changed you for good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I think so. And I think that it really helps. And for me, you're right. The walk is like a milestone that I can refer back to in my memory and remind myself that, Oh, you know what? Am I struggling right now? Do I feel kind of a causeless, anxiety all the time or, 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 uh, frustration. Usually I, if I, if I really, if I dive into that and remember like, Oh, when did I not feel this? Or what, 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 what did I do the walk for to get away from this? Right. Um, it reminds me that maybe I just have too many inputs going on. Yeah. Maybe I just need to detach a little bit from the constant inflow into my, into my head and heart. And, and simplify it again, even in a small way. Maybe it doesn't mean putting on a backpack and, and walking for 98 days, but maybe it just means I'm going to put my phone away and not do social media for this week, something yeah. like that. Yeah, it's important too. You know, I feel like everyone can use that uh, at least every once in a while. But I try to even do it, you know, sometimes for even just a few hours. Like it, it's crazy how that can even have an effect, but it does, you know. It does, Just take Absolutely. a few hours. I, Literally did that yesterday. I yeah. found myself like getting a little frantic and I was like, what, what am I doing? <laughs> I just need to put it all away and, and sit with the silence for a little bit. And it is very healing and helpful, I, I find. So when you were putting the book together, uh, did you do it all on your own? Did you have a publisher help you? Did you self-publish? Like how, how was that process? Yeah, so I did do it all on my own. And I didn't know what I was doing until I did it pretty much in every step of the way. Like I, so I used InDesign to, to design it and, and lay it out. And I didn't know how to use InDesign. So I was just Googling and YouTubing everything as I went. Yeah. And I self-published through Kickstarter and my, and my website and figured out like, well, my wife actually found the, the print company that we went through in Berkeley and, and they were great, but we kind of going through that process and figuring out like, how, how do you do this? How do you take yeah. a bunch of text and photographs and turn yeah. it into this polished physical reality that you can hold and touch? And yeah, that was one of the reasons why it, it, it took quite a, quite a while to, to go from the end of the walk in late 2017 to the printing of the book in late 2019. <laughs> Oh man, but it comes full circle, you know, that's so cool. And it's so, I know currently, uh, if you want to get it, 
it's sold out, but, but are you going to do another round of, uh, of publishing? Yes. Yes, I am actually. So because the, the first round kind of got snapped up pretty quickly, mm-hmm. I am going to do another round on Indiegogo. Nice. And it, it's basically just the, the, the book, the second print run. And that will be, it should be as, as of the time this podcast drops, it'll, it'll be out there and available. Oh, nice. Perfect. Yeah. Let people know how to, uh, how to find it, how to get to, uh, yeah. So it'll be, it'll be the link in my Instagram bio or on my website either way. Um, yeah. So hopefully we, we kind of can make that roll through and we'll get that second print run in production, obviously, depending upon response and all of that. That's great, man. And that's Spencer, uh, spencerbackman.co, not.com. Correct. Yeah. .co. And then Spencer Backman on Instagram and on all your Google search templates. Exactly. (laughs) Cool, man. Well, dude, I'm so happy that I got to actually have a conversation with you instead of just seeing your images on, uh, on Instagram. So it's super cool to be able to chat with you and talk about this. Um, you know, I've been looking at your work for so long, so it's really awesome to sit down and, and have a chat and uh i can't wait to to hopefully see what what comes next either if it's a book or you know just more writing or, or whatever you have you know planned got a, got a few ideas but <laughs> we'll see thank you thank you for having me on i really enjoyed it i'm honored honored to be on the darkroom podcast That'll do it, guys. Thank you so much for hanging out and checking out that episode with Spencer Backman. You can see Spencer's work at spencerbackman.co. You can see his Instagram at spencerbackman. Say hey to us at Darkroom. Say hey to me at Dane Diener. And let us know what you think. We appreciate you guys and we appreciate all the ratings and reviews and they really, really, really help. So if you have a free 10 seconds, uh, if you can pop onto iTunes or Instagram, give us a share, give us a like, tell us what's up. Uh, we would love that. So thanks again, and we will see you guys next time.